You're listening to Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. (laughs) Welcome to Sleep Stories for Equestrians. I'm your host, Ashley Winch. We're so happy you're here to relax and unwind. If you fall asleep and miss the story, we will recap it at the beginning of the next episode. We've also selected and edited these stories for ultimate relaxation, removing any stressful bits without affecting the story's integrity so you can focus on drifting off to sleep. With that, let's settle down and prepare for our story. The gates are closed, the horses sleep, the day's work done, the chores complete. Now let us rest, our bodies and minds, drift off to sleep, and close your eyes. It's time for us to turn down for the night. Now let's breathe in, breathe out, and turn off the light. One more time, breathe out, breathe in. Now let us begin. Last week, the Beebe family indeed did find a baby cuddled up with Misty, but it still yet wasn't Stormy. It was Wait a Minute and her kittens. Let's find out how Shinkatigue heals from the storm and what else the Beebe's get into, and hopefully meet Stormy. Chapter 13 Up at Deep Hole After he had poked and felt of Misty, Grandpa threw his hands up in despair. Could be a week yet. Paul groaned, wondering if maybe the foal was still inside her and why he wouldn't come out. Wondering if Misty was ever going to have a colt at all. Yep, Grandpa said. Maybe she's going to wait till her stall dries out. She's got plenty of hay, so you feed the cat while I take a quick gander about the house. As Grandpa hurried down the hall, Paul searched the refrigerator. He took out the pitcher of milk and smelled it. Phewy, he said to himself. She'll just have to be satisfied with leftover beans. Grandpa soon came back, rubbing his hands. Water seeped into only one room, he announced. But the rooms is colder than a tomb and they stink like old fish. Beats all how nice it is here. Something companionable in the smell of a horse. Misty, as if in appreciation, offered to shake hands. Sorry, gal. No time for tricks and treats today. Now then, Paul, come along. We can't keep the duck man waiting forever, and we've got to see about our herd up to Deep Hole. Tom Reed was getting into his boat when the duck reached his place on the north end of the island. Figured you'd come along about now, he called. Get out of that newfangled contraption, Beebe, and climb aboard my old scow. 
How come she didn't get blowed away, same as mine? Grandpa asked as he and Paul waited over. And how come you and the missus didn't evacuate? I tied her up to the rafters of my barn, that's why. Paul grinned. Is she still hanging there? Tom chuckled at the idea. No, son, t'was the boat. Truth is, Margie just flat refused to go. The driver of the duck was turning around, ready to leave. Hey, Mr. Beebe, he shouted. How soon should I come back? Tom answered for him. No telling, Captain. Could be all day. You'll just have to keep checking. As Paul climbed into the boat, he noticed a bundle of sticks and a cellophane bag stuffed with pieces of cloth. What they for, he asked. They're rags from my wife's scrap bag. They're to make flags to mark where the animals who need help are. We can't expect the helicopters to find them if they don't know where they are. Although the air was bitter cold, the wind lessened and the holes of the blue sky showed through the clouds. But the water about them was muddy brown and full of drift. Grandpa reached for an oar. Wait a minute, Tom said. I got strict instructions from Margie to give you coffee afore we set out. Wait here one minute. Grandpa guffawed. We got a cat by that name cause she never does. Paul broke in excitedly, and she just had four kittens, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, I'll be a chipmunk's tail, Grandpa chortled in surprise. No worse than naming people for saints who they don't resemble at all. Easy to remember, too, Tom said, and no hurt feelings if you call one by the other. He was pouring thick black coffee into the lid of his thermos. It's extra stout, he said, offering it first to Paul to fortify us for what's ahead. Paul tasted it, trying not to make a face. Then he gulped it down, feeling it burn all the way. Grandpa sipped his, meditating. Over to Assateague, he thought aloud. Over in those dunes, there's plenty of hollows to catch nice clean rain. The ponies that are left there's plenty for them to drink, but here, all at once he dumped the rest of his coffee overboard. We got to rescue the live ones right now, or they'll be swimming in this brackish water. Let's go, he bellowed. With Tom directing, they each took an oar and pulled off into the morass. It was heavy going. The sludgy water was choked with the boards from the smashed chicken houses and with briar and bramble and weedy vines so thickly interlaced it was like trying to break through a stout wire fence. Silently, the three in the boat threaded their way along, stopping time and again to push rubbish aside and to scrape the seaweed from their oars. The grim search went on. 
A quiet hung over the bog except for the sloshing of the oars and twigs snapping as the scow moved heavily along. Then, a raucous, rasping sound sliced into the quiet of the morning. Sometimes an hour went by before they came upon anything, be it alive or dead. Then Tom would chatter cheerfully, trying to lighten the burden. Not everything drowns, he said. Early this morning, I found me a snapper turtle under a patch of ice. He'd just gone to sleep. You know, Paul, they snooze all winter, like bear do. Tom waited for an answer, but none came. Funny thing about that little snapper, he went on. He was a baby, no bigger than a 15-cent piece, and he was froze sure enough. Tom, I said to myself, he's dead, but something tells me to put him in my pocket. And walking along, I guess the heat of my body warmed him up. And guess what? Grandpa, Paul screamed. I see something alive in the woods. They turned the boat quickly and went poling through the soggy mass of kinksbush and myrtle. And there, caught among the broken branches, was a forlorn bunch of ponies heads hanging low, their sides scarcely moving. Grandpa slid overboard, trying not to make a splash, trying not to panic them. Softly, he called each one by name, Nancy, Lucy, Polly, Gray, Belle, Princess, Susie. The low, husky voice was like a lifeline thrown to the drowning creatures. They lifted their heavy heads, and one tried a whinny, but there was no more than a breath blowing. They were held fast, rooted in the boggy earth. Tom and Paul were beside Grandpa in an instant. Without any signals between them, they knew what had to be done. They must drive the ponies to higher land near Tom's house, or they wouldn't survive the storm. Grim and determined, they maneuvered their way behind the ponies. Then, grabbing pine bows for clubs, they brandished them, whacking at the water, yelling like madmen, stirring the almost dead things to life. A pinto mare struggled free and led off in one desperate leap. The others stumbled after, trying to keep ahead of the wild thunder behind them, scrabbling, crashing through uprooted trees, squeezing through bramble and thicket. They slogged forward, inch by inch, and suddenly a mud-crusted stallion leapt out of the woods to join them. Its wings, Paul shrieked. Men and ponies both were nearing exhaustion, but still they drove on. They had to. Shoving the boat, the men nosed it into the laggards, frightening them ever forward. And at last, they were in Tom's yard, safe. As one, 
the ponies headed for the water barrel. Single-handed Grandpa overturned it, spilling out the dirty water tainted by the sea. He tried the spigot above it. Pressure's good, he exulted. They got to blow first, then they can drink. He and Tom and Paul were blowing too, but it was a healthy blow. Something at last had gone right. Chapter 14 Misty Goes to Pocomoke In the helicopter, on the way back to Wallop Station, Grandpa and Paul talked things over. They would try to shake off today's heaviness. No need to speak of it tonight with folks listening in. They would talk of the kittens instead. And so, when the plane landed, their faces were set in a mask. Maureen and Grandma, bundled in coats and scarves, were there to meet them. Maureen rushed up, bursting with curiosity. Before she could even ask her question, Paul said, You would never, ever guess. All right, Mr. Smarty, then I just won't even try. There's more than one. Twins, she gasped. Oh, Paul, isn't that wonderful? One for you and one for me. No, it's quadruplets. There's four of them. Can't be, Grandma broke in as they walked toward the mess hall. I may be a sea captain's daughter but I know enough about ponies to know that they don't have four at once. Grandpa took his hat off and let the wind pick up the wisps of his hair. Yep, Itty, he nodded. Your kitchen's a nursery now with four little ones. Grandma wailed. Oh, my beautiful new table all bit up and my linoleum ruined. The little ones aren't bigger than a thing, Grandpa said, flashing a wink at Paul. At the door of the mess hall, Maureen stopped in her tracks and began jumping up and down as if she had an answer to a riddle. It's wait a minute, she shouted. She's had kittens again. Paul smiled. Yep, Grandma's kitchen is amusome now. The children and even Grandma and Grandpa laughed in relief, not because they thought the joke was so funny, but because it was good to be together again. The refugee room had been transformed. Cots lined up against the wall, neat as teeth in a comb, and new tables and chairs, and a television set with a half circle of giggling children. The BBs went directly to their corner. Maureen and Grandma were full of questions, but the answers were short. Yes, Misty's okay. Our house is dry except for a tiny bit of wetting in one of the bedrooms. Here, Grandpa pinched his nose, remembering, but it's got an odor that'll hold you. In her dismay over her house, Grandma had forgotten all about Grandpa's ponies. Now, 
As she helped him pull off his sweater, she asked, What about your 90 head? Are they? Paul kept very still, and Grandpa's old leathery face did not change expression. There were losses, he said, and turned to Maureen. Me and Paul have done a lot of yelling today, and we're both very tired. We just don't feel very talky, do we, Paul? No, Grandpa. Suppose you and Grandma be like red cross angels and tote our suppers over here. We'd rather not eat up to the big table with everybody. As Maureen and Grandma heaped the trays and carried them back, Maureen's lip quivered. Oh, Grandma, Paul didn't even ask what I did today. He doesn't know I was at Dr. Finney's riding a famous trotter. Oh, Grandma, why was I born a girl? It's God's plan, Maureen. Take care, you're spilling the soup. Friday, the fourth day of the storm. Gray skies over Chincoteague. Rain off and on. Temperature rising. Wind and tide slowly subsiding. The causeway in use again. Red ambulances carrying off the sick. Yellow school buses the well and dump trucks removing the debris. Misty in the kitchen at Pony Ranch is growing restless. Her hay is gone. The water in the sink is gone. She's bored with the squeaky, squirmy kittens and tired of looking out the window. Nothing seems to happen. No ponies frisking. No dog teasing her to come and play. No birds flying. No friendly human creatures. The room is getting too warm. Her winter coat itches. Even the bony part of her tail itches. She looks for something to scratch against. The handle of the refrigerator. She backs up to it. To her surprise, the door kicks right back at her. She wheels around, barely missing the mewing kittens. She pokes her head in the box, sniffing and nosing. She tries to fit her tongue into a pitcher of molasses. Crash! A dark dribble spills down on the kittens and on wait a minute too. At last, Misty had something to do good sweet molasses to clean up. She licks wait a minute, and wait a minute licks her kittens. The steady strokes bring on rumbly purring sounds. Misty grows drowsy. As she turns to lie down, the kittens are in her way. At last she sleeps, standing over them. Afternoon came, and with it, strange happenings. Paul and Grandpa arrived at Pony Ranch. This time, their concern over Misty was desperate. A day or two at most, Grandpa said gravely. But you've been saying that, Paul replied accusingly. I know Grandpa looked crestfallen as if he'd failed in his duty. 
He made up his mind on the spot. We're carrying her over to Doc Finney's today. They led Misty out of the house and into the old truck. They stowed a bundle of hay in its accustomed place, just as if she were going off to a school or a library story hour. You wait, Misty. We'll be right back, Grandpa said. Paul and me have to get to the kitchen real quick. Oh, do we have to? Paul was all impatient. Yes, son. Some way I got a hunch your grandma's coming home soon. Back in the kitchen, Paul and Grandpa mucked out the old straw and gave the floor a hasty cleaning. Gives you a new regard for women, doesn't it, Paul? Grandpa asked, dipping the broom into a pail of suds. Why? Well, how would you like to get down on your knees and scrub suds and dirt together and try to make a slick surface? I'd rather mug out stalls. That's what I mean. Misty's what I'd call a tidy pony. She uses one corner and keeps everything mounted up real neat. But even so, when they had done the best they could, they turned to inspect their handiwork. The room looked better, they admitted, with the kittens in the laundry basket and the straw swept out and the molasses fairly well cleaned up, but somehow the pattern of the linoleum was gone. Oh well, Grandpa sighed. Your grandma'll say, Clarence Beebe, this floor looks like a hurrah's nest. And then she'll get right down with her brush and pail, and she'll begin purring and humming like wait a minute with her kittens. So let's leave it to her and get on with Misty. Driving the truck through the town to the causeway took an hour instead of minutes. The streets were lined with men and machines. Huge bulldozers were pushing sand back into the bay and rubble into piles for burning. Every time the truck had to stop, Misty was recognized and men shouted questions. Where are you taking Misty? To Doc Finney's. Clear to Pocomoke City? But why now when the weather's faring off? Because she needs a doctor, that's why, Grandpa answered. She's way past her time. Shucks, you've never done this with our other ponies. They're used to wild ways, Paul broke in. Misty's more like folks. My grandchildren set a mighty store by her, Grandpa said. We just can't chance it. In front of his house, the mayor came out and flagged them down. Bibi, he said, looking heavy-eyed and discouraged. We're having a time getting everything airlifted out and cleaned up. How come? The government has approved sending copters to take fresh water to the ponies on Assateague, but they have no orders yet to help us clear out everything else. Grandpa exploded. The live ones on Assateague have water. There's always water in the high-up pools in the White Hills, and those ponies know it. You and I know it too, Clarence, but sometimes outside people get sentimental in the wrong places. 
They mean well enough, he added with a tired smile. It's the same old story about the evacuation. Even though the drinking water is piped to Shinkatique from the mainland, the health department still says no women or children can return yet. Grandpa's face went red. Mayor, I guess you don't need me to tell you the women folk is madderin' fire and sputterin' like wrens. Lessen they get home soon and tote their soggy mattresses and chairs out in the air. Everything will be spoiled. Yes, I know, I know. I'm doing the best I can to get things cleared up. Right now, I have a call in for our senator in Washington. Perhaps he can get some action for us. But what about all the folk who didn't evacuate? We can't force them to leave their homes, Clarence. But those that are at Wallop Station just can't come back until everything is removed and clear. And Clarence, he called as Grandpa shifted into gear. When the order does come through, we will want you to help with the airlifting. On the long trip to Pocomoke, Grandpa kept grumbling and muttering to himself. Paul couldn't keep his eyes open. With Misty close by him, where he could reach back and touch her, he suddenly felt easy and relaxed, easier than he had since the storm had began. He tried to stay awake. He tried to listen to Grandpa. He tried to watch the scenery, but his eyelids drooped. Finally, he crawled in with Misty and slept on the floor beside her. When at last, they turned into Dr. Finney's place. Grandpa had to shake him awake. Thank you for joining us today on Sleep Stories for Equestrians. Allow this gentle music to carry you off.